You're listening to the Third Cup of Coffee podcast. Good day, podcast listeners. This is Randy Bolander on the Third Cup of Coffee. So glad to have you on the podcast today. We are broadcasting today from our basement bunker. I did not intend to build a basement bunker. It just kind of turned out that way. Uh, We've moved into a new home, of course, and the basement is unfinished. We were going to stick all of the office gear, all of the desks and the computers and everything, kind of down in a little alcove that is in the basement. And I didn't really think that much when I did it, but the walls are covered with Tyvek. If you're not familiar with what Tyvek is, it's a kind of a synthetic vapor barrier type thing. But in this case, the Tyvek is all brilliant white. So any light that you turn on in this corner of the room just kind of rebounds off of everything. And I did not realize how bad it was until the other night during a Zoom call. I looked at it and I realized I look like I'm in a hostage video. Like I look as if I'm going to hold up a clipboard with a phone number and a routing number to a bank that people could wire money to to set me free or something. It's the funniest effect. We've got to figure out some kind of background or something to cut down on the hostage video effect during Zoom calls because it's pretty... It's pretty bad. We are learning a lot about living in this new neighborhood. Uh, This is not the first new home that we have owned. We purchased a new home in Cincinnati about, I don't know, 20 years ago. And it was the last home that was built in that subdivision. So we purchased the home, move in, and everything's hunky-dory. In this case, it is not the last home in the subdivision. It is in the first third of homes, I would say. There's a lot of room they can build here. And in fact... Most of the building is going on kind of near us. I did not give this a moment's thought when we bought the house. And then we moved into the house, and about 6 a.m. the first morning, you hear trucks backing up, and the place is a beehive of activity, which is fine. I get it. I just didn't anticipate that. I don't know. I don't know how I thought houses got built. I guess I just thought they were going to back up a truck and dump off a house, maybe? I don't know. But it's a it's a busier place during the day than I thought. However, when the kids get home from school, it's quiet. Everybody's done. And so it has been a, a great place. Neighborhood is full of children. I mean full of children. Within about a three or four house radius, there's about 15 kids that travel in a pack. It's like they're feral. And uh, so fun, so fun to watch our kids have a good time. I'm going to keep introductory comments uh, pretty brief today and go right into teaching from Sunday. Uh, this was a big Sunday for our little church plant, our little Zoom group that we have uh, assembled over the last couple of months as we lean into what it means to be a congregation and uh, learn how to serve one another, learn how to serve our community. We crossed the Rubicon on Sunday. We did two things. Uh, out of conventional order, which is fine with me. Uh, First one we did was we commissioned missionaries, which I'm very excited about. We are sending our dear friends, Steve and Kristen Hickey, to serve in Alaska. And uh, Steve actually is on the podcast later and talks about that a little bit near the end of the teaching time. We want to send them out in great fashion. Uh, And after we commissioned missionaries, we finally named the church. Up until now, it has been the vague entity, the nebulous unknown. We just never had a name for it. I felt like a name was uh, the least of our 
difficulties and probably still is. But we finally broke down, and for those of you that don't have the patience to wait until the end of the podcast, uh, we've named it The Bridge. There are so many things that we need to connect people to people, people to God, our own hearts to what God is doing. And uh, we thought, what a better starting point than to call the church The Bridge and to try and lean into being that bridge for as many people as we can. So that's us now. It is The Bridge. We're still meeting online, looking hard and fast for some sort of place where we can gather in real space or real time. Zoom has been good for us while we've needed to do it, but uh, it's time to see faces. And uh, the times we have spent together as a body uh, worshiping have been incredibly rich. So we really look forward to gathering again um, and continue to stream. We've got folks that are tapping in from Delaware and from Omaha and from Oklahoma and some from California. And so we want to include them in wherever we end up, but uh, definitely looking for some sort of landing space as soon as we can. We will be back in a couple of seconds here as we get ready to dive into the teaching from this Sunday as we tidy up our series, Little Rough and Ugly, What It Means to Be a New Testament Church. We'll be right back. see everybody. I got some promises to keep this morning because uh, I promised a day of firsts. Uh, we are going to have our first missionary sending this morning that I'm really most excited about. Um, and we'll talk about that uh, in a little bit here. And we are, I promised you a name uh, as we have not named this church. And it has been incredibly awkward for some of you as you've encouraged people to, hey, come visit this thing. Well, what is it called? We, we don't have a name. Like the more you explain why it doesn't have a name, the weirder it gets. And so we're actually going to throw a name on this thing. Um, I felt a little bit compelled to name it because the names that were, were coming to me as suggestions were getting worse and worse and worse. And uh, so lest one of those bad ones stick, I figured we'd better put one on there that would actually work. Uh, Steve Hickey in particular has been a, a font of ideas that have grown gradually worse. Um, recently, he was calling it uh, St. Randy's of Zoom, and I was afraid that was going to stick. Um, <laughs> no one else would have used that, and I, uh, I didn't want to go there. And then he was asking people online the other night what some good names for a church starting up during a pandemic would be. And someone suggested, this is really dark, but I did have to laugh. Uh, the Branch Covidians, um, which I thought was exceptionally terrible, and I have I have great appreciation for exceptionally terrible jokes, and that that stood out. So uh, we are not going with either of those, um, but we're going to talk a little bit. I want to give you the name and a charge to a missionary, but we're going to do that here in a little bit. I want to give you some of my reasoning behind uh, what we are actually giving uh, a name to this. Um, and kind of a renewed um, commitment to trying to find a place where we can gather in real time and real space. Uh, this has been better than nothing, but this is not it. And we really do want to want to gather. And for some of you, you're feeling like maybe it's too early. Um, and we'll make a way for you to join us uh, online for sure. But for some of us, we're, we're really missing that. And so the search is on. 
and we're reaching out and, and trying to find something. I wanted you to know that that is at, at the forefront of, of what we're thinking. Uh, have you, since this pandemic, have you gone to the store? Give me a wave. If you've gone to the store and looked for something that, that you could not find, like the, and the only excuse is COVID. And you're like, how does COVID relate to the thing that I'm looking for? I asked people on Twitter this week, what have you looked for during the pandemic that you could not find? And some of the answers were obvious, uh, things like Clorox wipes and paper goods and all the things we've heard about rice uh, that we've heard about people hoarding, uh, borax. Um, I think at one point everybody was making something out of borax and then they figured out that didn't work. So borax was hard to find. But some of the other things that were hard to find, I just can't find any connection to the pandemic at all. Uh, Excedrin migraine, that may have come from everybody's kids being home constantly. Um, somebody was looking for Benefiber and they couldn't find it. I don't know how that relates to, to COVID, but they couldn't find Benefiber. Skateboards and yeast, uh, easy off oven cleaner, uh, gas for their fizzy water machine, lint traps, and tomato plant baskets. I don't know. I think somewhere online, there maybe are plans that you can make your own ventilator out of lint traps and uh, tomato plant baskets. And so they're all of those sold out. Uh, people couldn't find elastic. They couldn't find wide mouth canning lids, uh, pool supplies. Some guy said that he had searched for a hundred miles for uh, Coke, what is it? Coke Zero Cherry, which I didn't even know was a product, but apparently uh, he was in favor of that. Potassium tablets, somebody couldn't find. And somebody said that the one thing that they couldn't find during the whole pandemic uh, was common sense. And uh, I think that's actually been in short supply long before the pandemic, but he just started looking for it now. It has been our experience that there are things that we can't find right now. Uh, we went to a big box store about 10 days ago with cash in hand to buy a refrigerator and went to a big box store that had 50 of them on display. And when it came down to what would fit in our home, they had two. And we didn't like either one of those. So we said, well, when can you get this one? And she told us, mm, they tell us six weeks, but it'll take longer. It'll take much longer than that. I think what frustrated me about that is even though they have only two refrigerators out of the 50 they have on display, they're still mailing flyers to my home saying, come buy refrigerators. Like they're advertising things that they don't have in stock. These people told us they had these things. And then when we got there, they didn't have them. There have been times when the church as a whole has advertised what we really don't have in stock or don't have to offer people. If the church were a big box store and people came looking for the things that we told them they could find for us, in some cases, they would be legitimate in being frustrated and saying, okay, where's the healing? Where is the joy that I told was told I could find here? Where is the freedom? that I was told that I could find here? Have you advertised things that we do not have? In some cases, the church is out of stock and we've made excuses. Well, we all have our own struggles or we're still figuring things out. Or even we blame the lockdown or, or COVID for the fact that we just can't operate like we did. Current events should have zero impact on what the church promises and delivers. Okay, We should not be stuck by our current events in not being able to deliver what the Bible says the church should have in stock. So as a church family, I want to talk a little bit this morning about what we want to advertise, for, for lack of a better say. What do we want to say we're about and we want to deliver? Up until now in this series, A Little Rough and Ugly, we have looked at different chapters in the book of Acts, kind of uh, chapter by chapter. For 
today I want to kind of look at the whole and see what the book offers and commit ourselves to really delivering it. And I just want to give you as a word of warning, it's going to take work on delivering some of these things. I think everything that we're going to talk about today, we have some facet of, but it needs to be built out. So I'm inviting you into the promises that we find in the book of Acts, but also into a season of labor. If you're looking for a season of comfort and ease, this may not be the train you want to hook your cargo container to, because it's going to take some effort. But if you're looking for challenge and fulfillment, changed lives, then I think there's going to be opportunity here for you. I want to give you four qualities that we're going to proclaim and believe for, and then four bridges that we're going to build to get there because we're not there yet. And that's okay. If you are taking notes, you might want to just make two columns. And on one side, you'll put the qualities. On the other side, you'll put the promises and you can scribble verses in wherever you like. Quality number one, these are things that I want to say we're about that we find in the book of Acts that we may have to work on, but we're going to get there. Quality number one, number one would be belief in the power of the gospel. And you're like, who, who would not believe in that? You would be surprised. There's an idea that the church is never more than an assembly of horribly broken people. And that's actually what you would find at the bar. Okay, You should find something different at the church. If you're 20 years in the faith and you're still broken in the same ways that you were broken 20 years ago... I think you have an argument for getting your tithes back because you did not get full service, okay? Now, we're never going to be perfect. And down the road, we're still going to be struggling with things. We shouldn't be perfect, but we should be getting better if the gospel works. When I say belief in the power of the gospel, I'm not just talking about believing in Jesus as a person. Very few people actually debate the existence of Jesus. Any historian believes in Jesus. He was a man who walked the earth. And for the most part, they're not even interested in debating whether or not he thought he was the son of God. The debate surrounds the idea that his death and his resurrection have implications on our life right now, that there was power in what happened, and it's got to impact our life. Otherwise, it was all for nothing. Paul assured us that the death and the resurrection, the gospel story, was for something. In Romans 1, 18, he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. Paul taught that the gospel had this remarkable, transformative power that was so obvious and so strong that it wasn't just for God's chosen people. This was for everyone. If Jesus was just a point on the timeline of history, then what would there be to share with the Gentiles? But the story of Jesus and what he did carried with it intrinsic power, and Paul knew this was for everybody. And this isn't a uniquely New Testament idea either. Ezekiel 36, 26 says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. Way back in Ezekiel, there was this idea that the story of God and what he wanted to do in our lives could transform things in such a radical way that it would be like going from death to life. The plan of God has always been to radically change lives in the hearts and in the circumstances of men and women. It was so much a part of New Testament life that when Paul talked about this power, he spoke about it strongly. He said, there is a supernatural realm that should open up to those who embrace the gospel. 
In 1 Corinthians 4.20, he said, For the kingdom of God is not just a lot of talk. It is living by God's power. The very thing we are leaning into. It isn't just something we sit and chat about. The powerless faith that many of us have been conditioned to accept would be unrecognizable by the early church fathers. The level of powerlessness and lack of change that we have grown accustomed to in the church would cause many of the early church fathers to look at it and go, I died for this? I died so that they could live 20 or 30 years with the same hangups they had when they came to Jesus? No, no, they died because transformation was possible. Living as citizens of that kingdom unlocks transformational power that provides everything that we need in life. 2 Peter 1, 3 says, By his divine power, again, talking about the power that is in the death and the resurrection, God has given us everything we need to live a godly life. A church in the model of the book of Acts believes that faith in Jesus can change your life. It has the power for transformation that is real, and the expectation of that transformation is reasonable. Some of us have been reasoned out of believing God can do the miraculous because we've been told to make peace with our circumstances or with our own hangups. Now, almost again, almost everybody believes in Jesus in the sense that they believe in panda bears, like they're real, they're out there somewhere. Fewer people believe in and exhibit the marks of a transformed life. We are people, all of us. Look at these little boxes. Everybody in the boxes, everyone's got a need for transformation. And we live in a city that needs transformation. And then that's in a nation that needs transformation that is based in a world that needs transformation. If this supernatural aspect of the gospel isn't available, then we are advertising things that we don't have in stock. Now, everybody looks at the cross a little bit differently. But some of us have begun to look at the cross completely incorrectly. I had an online conversation with a former worship leader who has drifted somewhat from a faith, or at least from orthodox faith. And uh, they actually told me that they believe Jesus went to the cross to remind us of what we could be. I said, no, I didn't need reminded. I needed changed. I didn't need just a little pat on the back. I needed transformation. Now, that transformation can look different ways. Some of it happens immediate. Some of it happens over the course of our lifetime. When people come to Jesus, in addition to their sin that they need delivered from, they've got strongholds and situations in their life that need radical change for them to walk in freedom. Now, stronghold is, is kind of a, a bit of a churchy word. Maybe you've heard it. You've never really even thought about what it really means. A stronghold is a lie that we believe and we respond to over time. You may believe you're not worth loving and you act that way. You may believe that God loves other people, but not you, and you relate to God that way. You may believe that some people have, have it in for you, and you respond out of that lie. These are strongholds in your psyche, and no amount of hoping changes these things or any other lie that you believe. Only Jesus can, but we want to be people who have faith for and fully expect Jesus to bring us freedom from these strongholds and these lies that we believe. Sometimes our strongholds partner with other people's strongholds, and it gets into long-term, really toxic positions. How many marriages dissolve because two people believe lies about each other? These are things that Jesus wants to bring transformation towards. 
Other people have physical issues that aren't related to sin, but are a part of the fall of man. And the power of Jesus exists to transform and heal those people too. We see these things in the Bible, and we see other times where people are empowered perhaps to manage their situation with a special grace. I, I refer to that as, as coping. And there is an element of, of walking with Jesus that helps us cope with things. In 2 Corinthians, Paul writes, and we get a sense that it must be late at night, and he's getting a little more casual than normal, because he kind of has a funny cadence to it when he writes it. 2 Corinthians 12, 1, he starts writing, I'm just going to go on boasting. There's nothing to be gained by it, but I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. He's like, as long as we're up talking about it, let me tell you about this crazy encounter I had with the Lord. And then he shares some profound prophetic experience that he has being caught up into paradise, not sure if he's in his body or out of his body. But then he said, God took measures for him not to grow conceited. 2 Corinthians 12, 7 to 9. So to keep me from being conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. We don't know what this was. Could have been a physical ailment probably, but whatever it is. He said, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. He was asking God to heal him. But he said to me, God said to him, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Some people get physical transformation and deliverance. Others get grace to endure the thing that they're called to endure. Either way, it is a transformative thing that happens because God wants them to press in. Never settle, though, just for coping when God wants you to press in for physical healing. Because even in Paul's life, where we saw him struggling, we also see him get transformation in other areas of life. If you look at his life, he did not start out with a clear apostolic calling. He started out as a murderer and a mob boss. He was a community organizer in the community organizing killing. Acts 9, 1 through 6, talks about him breathing murderous threats against the disciples of the Lord, going home to home and killing people. It says, now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he says, who are you, Lord? He said, I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting, but rise and enter the city, and you will be told what to do. There was a segment of the church that could not find the faith in their heart to believe that Paul could have a transformed life. When he actually approached them, they were afraid because they believed that Jesus could touch their lives, but they weren't really sure that Jesus could do this in his life. It's easier to believe for grace for someone to endure an affliction than it is to believe for them to be transformed into a new person. Acts 9, 26 and 27 says, When he came to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, but they were all afraid, for they did not believe he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him in and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord. I want to become a church that believes for people to have grace to cope with the things that the Lord doesn't deliver, but also that asks for breakthrough in the lives of people that changes who they are at the core. I want to be a church that bridges the gap between what we have right now and what we're believing for, a church that gives us a way to get from where we are to where we can access all that God has for us in the way of transformation. God has more than coping skills for you. God has the power to transform your situations, and a bridge will give people hope to get there. 
that God, the one of transformation, can change your circumstances and can do miracles today. Wednesday night, Suzanne Mongold shared the story of how the Lord was doing a transformative miracle in her family. She told us that her siblings and her parents had not gathered together for dinner for 35 years. There had been such a rift between them. And the Lord prompted her to reach out to them, and they responded, guys, that is a miracle on the level of a physical healing. They responded and gathered together, and the Lord is beginning to knit them together. That's the God I want to believe in and that I want to bridge for, to build for people to access that kind of transformation. Quality number two, and the first one is the one that I wanted to speak mostly about. But the quality number two that we want to be able to talk about and to deliver is the idea of a vibrant community. Now, I saw a picture this morning, uh, somebody posted of uh, Steve Martin, and he's walking through a, a field of strewn banana peels, okay, like everywhere. And I looked at that and I felt, I've felt like that walking out to preach some days. Like this could go wrong for so many different ways. And the way the word community is a little bit like one of those banana peels. It's a buzzword in church circles, because even if people don't know what they're talking about, they want it. But it's also a little bit fuzzy and hard to define. And so you find that oftentimes people have high expectations of community, but they never fully articulate them, and those expectations are never met, and they stay perpetually disappointed with the church. And as pastors, we see it all the time. We hear, you know, I like that church. Uh, I like this about the church. I like that about the church. But there was no real sense of community. And when you press in, you say, well, what do you mean? Well, I wanted to be connected. Okay, well, what do you think that would look like? I don't know, but I didn't find it. Community is not something you find like the pot of gold at the end of a rainbow. It is something you build like an ark. It's not something you discover. Oh, I found community. Where was it? It's over behind the couch. I just discovered it. It was awesome. You don't find it. You build it. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the German pastor we talk about a lot, who lost his life during World War II for standing for his convictions in Germany, talked about community this way. A person who loves their dream of community will destroy community. But the person who loves those around them will create community. We are in a perfect setting right now to build community and to perfect our love for one another. You say, what makes, it, what makes this perfect? This is terrible. We're all sitting looking at each other in little boxes. What makes it perfect for us to build community? Widespread panic. Like that's actually a positive right now when it comes to building community. How many times do you watch the news, there's a tornado in Arkansas or a fire in California and things get hard and someone comes on as a local interview and they say, oh, our community is rallied together. We'll never be the same because in times of conflict, we can there's nothing like a little crisis to blow things up and pull people together. And the church in the book of Acts existed in a revolving door of conflict. There was persecution, there were external misunderstandings, there was internal division at times, there were financial challenges. Much of the New Testament is written in that context of real difficulty. And yet the church connected and built vibrant community, and they built it almost entirely in one another's homes. Now, yes, there were meetings of large public preaching, but those were primarily geared towards the lost. 
When big groups gathered, many people came to know Jesus. When small groups gathered, they discipled one another and they built community. Now, this idea of community is something that we have come to expect from a large gathering. That's why we go to a church and we leave a church. Well, I just didn't connect. I didn't feel the sense of community. But when you look at how most of the New Testament is written, it is written to people who were meeting and discussing the scripture in their own homes. In Colossians 3, 12 to 14, when they write, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against each other, forgiving one another as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive and put on above all of these love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. That is easier to read and discuss in a large corporate setting, but it doesn't get that personal. When you sit around the table with five or six brothers and sisters and try and implement that, it becomes very personal. And it's easier in a corporate setting to talk about it and do nothing, not because people aren't hungry for community, but because you can't do that in a large group. Somehow we think the idea of community relates to a geographic setting, everyone that lives in an area. It's not. It comes out of the word communion. It is people that you are in communion with. And almost every activity of the early church, certainly the internal activities, happened in the context of someone's home with the value of hospitality. The spiritual activity in the context of hospitality builds great community. This is the big Zoom drawback, okay? This is the thing that we, is very hard to do. We can sometimes break into smaller groups and we pray together and Wednesday night and Friday night, and that's, that feels a little different. This is not that. This is one of the reasons we do have to gather, but even gathering as a whole will not scratch your itch for community. Your need for community will happen when you open your heart and your home to others. You invite them and you're like, well, my heart is, my, my heart's there, but my home's not quite right for it. Then find a neutral place or, or ask that the Lord would open some sort of door for you to gather in one another's homes. What if the Lord is moving in this season to press the church past its original point of contact that we know, which is the large group meeting, into life on life with one another rather than gathering in mass. And yes, we will gather and yes, we will sing and yes, we will teach. We want to do all of that, but community happens differently. We want to be a church that bridges the gap between one another, not waiting for things to go back to normal before we pursue normal Christianity and normal Christian community. Some of you right now feel very, very alone. Inasmuch as you extend love in practical ways to one another, you will connect with one another, and this church will be a bridge that allows you to find significance in the lives of others. And that is important. That is not an unrealistic expectation, that people would know who you are and understand who you are and understand why you are so incredibly dear to the Lord. But it's going to take effort. That's a bridge we're going to have to build. Let me show you the most amazing thing here. This is, you're going to be amazed. Many of you have one of these, okay? You, you have these. It's, it's, they're glass, and you can access almost every human being you've ever met by pressing in the right numbers or the right letter. Like, it, it happens. Let me encourage you. Pick these up. It's a phone. Contact people. Connect with folks. Your need for community is matched by their need for community. And in this season, your text or your call 
or your outreach to them is not only just what they need, it's what you need. So we want to build a bridge to one another. Third thing, we want to build a quality of having an eye towards the future, okay? When we think of the launch of the church, many of us think of the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit was poured out on those gathered in the upper room. And I think it's kind of sweet that our first public gathering after everything was shut down was on Pentecost Sunday. That was cool. It was the first time we actually uh, uh, used the word church in regard to what the Lord might be doing here. But the start of the church, I really think, in a sense, started before that. The seeds of the church were sown at the ascension when the Lord ascends to be with God the Father. And on the way up, as he's going up and the disciples are standing there, nobody's saying it, but the obvious question of being, now what? The angels looked at them and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking to heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven, will come back the same way you saw him go into heaven. That last sentence changed everything. It gave their life mission, meaning, and hope, and an end point. If we do not look towards the future and towards the return of Jesus and the events that will come before that, we actually are generating unnecessary strife in our own lives and making this season of life worth nothing. Why does this season of life have meaning? Because we are marching closer to the return of Jesus. And in the book of Acts, they combine the story of Jesus's first coming with preparation for his second coming. They said, no, this is going somewhere, guys. The reason that we have to share the story of Jesus is that he is coming back. We are living in a season now where we see things shifting and moving and uh, society changing. That there, there is a timeline on our globe, and that number is counting down. It's not counting up. Now, how long do we have to count? I don't know, but we see things shifting even in our own nation that many of us thought we'd never see. I was driving uh, here to where I'm teaching this morning, and I heard on NPR this morning that last night Antifa on the, uh, the left wing and Proud Boys, the right wing, began to uh, fight and battle in Portland last night. For three hours they fought and the police did nothing. And the reason the police did nothing is they said it appeared that both sides were willing participants in what was going on. Think about that for a second. Because both sides were okay with the fact they were beating each other senseless, the police just leaned back and let them do that. If that happened in a developing country, we would call that civil war. We don't think that kind of thing happens in our country, but things are happening in our own country. The, the time is marching on, and I want to be a church with a quality, a quality of looking towards the future of what is coming. This church should help you build a bridge between the age that we live in and the one that we're told to watch for to prepare you for the days to come when you will ultimately meet with the Lord and answer for how we have lived our lives. I'm not talking about a matter of salvation. Salvation is a matter of faith. But there is a second judgment where we meet before the Lord and he evaluates our life. And I want to build a church that gets people from how we're living now to how we should be investing our lives. I listened to a sobering podcast this week of a story that I've heard a number of times in person, but something about hearing it uh, anew just, just shook me. Our friends, uh, Dwayne and Jennifer Roberts, who pastor in Denver, do a podcast, and they interviewed Mike Bickle, who's from here in Kansas City. 
about an encounter he had 30 years ago. He was in his 20s, and uh, he, was in a, he was sleeping, and in the dream, he discovers he's standing before the Lord. And the Lord speaks to him in the dream. Jesus says in the dream to him, you're saved, but your life is wasted. And it rattled him. It just, it bothered him because he, he had wanted to use his life well. And he started to argue. He's like, wasted? What do you mean? And again, he heard the voice, you're saved, but your life was wasted. And as he started to protest that, no, no, his life wasn't wasted. And he, he was trying. He heard the voice of the Holy Spirit. He said, it just came within him. And the Holy Spirit spoke to him and said, there is no manipulating this man. In other words, you cannot manipulate Jesus to see his interpretation of your life differently. Mike said, I have thought about that experience two or three times a week for, the, like, for 30 years. How am I using my time? Am I, am I using my time and investing my talents and my abilities in such a way that when I stand before him, not as a salvation thing, I'm saved, but as I stand before him and my life is evaluated, that he will say I've done well. I want to live right now for that day. And I want to be with a group of people who are building a bridge so that your friends can stand before him on that day. People who, after spending time at that bridge, they're ready to meet their God, not only in the way of just being saved, but in the way of having poured out their life for him. I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Fourth quality is the last one, and I'm going to have someone else share here for a little bit, is I want to develop a practice of sending, of sending missionaries all around the world. Now, when we look at the path that I'm laying out here, it's a little bit audacious to even be talking about sending missionaries. It's like, can we even get all in one room before we start sending people out? But very quickly, the early church realized what they were called to was very audacious as well. They began to see the scope of what they had to do, and they realized that we've got to send people to other places. Acts 13, 1 through 3 says, Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I've called them to do. And after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them, and they sent them off. It was the first example of a missionary sending. Did the church at Antioch have all of their ducks in a row and everything perfectly in order when they sent off Barnabas and Saul? No, but they knew that the task at hand was so large and that what they were building in Antioch would never be perfect. So why wait till it's perfect if the Lord is saying now, let's send now. We want to build a bridge here between what God is doing among us and what God wants to do around the world. And that is going to mean sending finances and sending people around the world. Now, in the last couple of weeks, there's been a stirring with uh, Steve and Kristen Hickey. And uh, even we have have met as a group and and talked about this at length. Uh, And there are doors open to them that only God could have orchestrated. And so that's why I wanted to start right on time because I wanted to set some time aside for Steve and, and Kristen to share uh, a little bit of what's going on with them. And then I want to talk about what we can do uh, to help this come to pass. So Steve, if you want to go ahead and unmute, I'm going to mute myself and you guys can take it. 
Oh, thank you, Randy. This is just exciting to be a part of um, this morning. I, I woke up this morning, I, I felt like this is a definitional time. This is, these are definitional days. And I've been a part of church planting quite a bit, some of you know, for many years. And you know, what Randy's doing here is he's, he's setting the DNA. He's, this, is, this is what's been burning in him. This is what's been burning in the group. And um, I just love it. There's something in you know, my biblical studies world, uh, call it hermeneutics, how to study the Bible, called um, the priority of first. The first time you see something in the Bible, you know, that's usually the prototype or it's the definitional uh, picture of what God wants. For example, marriage. You know, later we see polygamy and we see the deviations and divorce. And Jesus brings it back, though, to the first, you know, one man, one woman. And, and um, you know, for what Randy's saying here, that he wants it to be a sending center, you know, right out of the bat is, is really important. I, I was thinking as he was talking about that, of our first church, we started it. And we were straight up evangelical, but I wanted to be a church planting church. And I was out at a Rick Warren conference in, um, at Saddleback. And he's, Rick Warren said, you know, if you're not planting a church within the first 18 months of your church plant, it's not in your DNA. And I was like, whoa, you know, because at that time we were like three years old. And so I thought, darn, I missed it or whatever. And, and, but it, well, I didn't. But, and, and then at year four, we started our own new church we sent 32 people out and the denomination at the time and then we went independent but the because we were starting churches the denomination said hickey needs a governor you know like an old truck has a governor you can only go so fast you know hickey needs some you know reins on him because he wants to start a new church they're not even fully planted yet they don't have a building and so we did we sent out 32 people by year five and and uh, you know so before we even have a church name we've had a baby dedication before we even have a church name, we're sending missionaries. Um, it's just amazing. Um, we're gonna go to Alaska and it's not, you know, like, wow, that's out of left field. It's quite absolutely not. Missions have been a part and ministry has been a part. It's been our family calling. All our kids are either, in, you know, been through seminary or, you know, toward ministry of some kind. In fact, our son Thomas and his wife Melody are going to Alaska with us. It's been part of the dream um, and, um, Caleb and Elena are very situated here. We're going to try to come back here, be a base in Kansas City, but our daughter, uh, Caitlin, is already up there. Um, <clears throat> we have done missions. Uh, we've been the sending center for missions and church planting over the years. And, um, and so that uh, we've, we've regular ministries and uh, in teaching in uh, India and started a school in Greece. And so missions have been a part of our our orientation um but uh it, and it goes way back I, I think i want Kristen to jump in and um you know say something about um kind of what you talked to lynn carnes about the other night she's right here i'll mute okay well i grew up at a church that um missions was the priority if you were anything, you were thinking about missions all the time. It was, it was important. And so we would go to VBS in the summertime and um, Lynn Carnes was there and I was there and um, they would have these movies. Oh my goodness, you know, VBS was a whole day experience, morning to afternoon. And um, they'd bring in these movies in the afternoon, you know, the big reels, chick, 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 goes the projector and, um, and they'd show us Covenant 
missions around the world. And then there was the Dr. Paul Carlson who was murdered by rebels in the Congo. And there's this picture of the wall where Dr. Paul Carlson was murdered and there's bullet holes in it. And I'm sitting there thinking, I'm not going to the mission field. There's no way. Um, but missions was important. And so we talked about it and we listened to God, um, listened to our teachers all the time. And then um, the next summer, here comes the big movie, chick, 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 chick on the prote- projector again. And this time they were talking about covenant missions in Alaska. And I thought to myself, okay, I can do that because there are no snakes. And um, hopefully there's no rebels with guns that are going to shoot me by that wall and then put me up for some VBS kid to watch. So, um, but missions was still in my background. It was still in the back of my thoughts my whole life. Um, in college, I went to the Urbana Missions Conference um, and heard the word of the Lord that missionaries need roots. The tree and the sending and the reaching out to the world um, needs a root system and support. And I felt that was what he was calling me to do. And then three years later, Steve and I were dating. And so we went again, but we separated um, at Urbana to figure out what's God saying to you and what's God saying to me, and then to come back together again to see if um, those ministries were compatible um, for being married to each other. And they were. So there we are. Okay, babe, back to you. Yeah, so we've been on the sending side of missions, but we've gone as well. And we've raised kids who have been, we, we call them world Christians, not worldly Christians. I think Caitlin's been to 19 countries by the time she's 26. And um, it's just, it's just uh, the nations and the urgency of the hour is, um, it's been on us. And so um, Kristen would say that the trajectory of our whole lives kind of points to what we're doing now. Um, I got sick seven years ago and decided to go to, uh, uh, I, I was coughing so much that I, I needed to stop preaching every week. And I felt like I had a window of time left to go um, get a PhD because I was, I had a strong teaching anointing on me. And there was things that I was working on. And so we did that. And then I, over the course of time, um, uh, God birthed me the idea of a school, a certain kind of very important school during hard times. It was the school that Bonhoeffer tried to get going in the north of Germany under the the Third Reich. It's called Finkenwalde, but it's a school that's based on the mountainside with Jesus. It's not so much the doctrines. It's not so much the rituals. It's not so much church. It's just spending time with Jesus on the mountainside and teaching Christ-likeness. And Bickle says this too. He says that um, he sees coming the day when God will change the face of Christianity in one generation. And I feel like he's shown me that. If God's going to change the church to look like anything, it's going to be to look more like his son, Jesus. And so you know, I have developed this, you know, way forward to, you know, uh, do a certain kind of, you know, it could be three day, uh, three, we, we were talking about immersions, intensive internships, three months, nine months um, on the mountainside with Jesus. So we've had this idea that we've developed academically and professionally and I've networked and stuff, but there's been no place. We were going to do it in Scotland. And when we came home from the States, Randy, you know, said, hey, come to Kansas City, but I was saying to Kristen, no, we're going to go to Vermont because the door's open for us to do our school in Vermont, and the Vermont door shut. We came to Kansas City. Um, we, uh, we thought, so we're going to do it in Scotland. We were going to do it in uh, Vermont. We were going to do it in Alaska, 
And we knew our kids were supposed to be a part of it, but our kids weren't released at that time to go. And so we're still in Kansas City. And then you'll remember even a few months ago, we were asking you to pray because I was up in South Dakota. We were looking for a place. Um, that's where I did work for many years. So we've been a part of uh, uh, Native American ministry for 25 years. That's very important to what I'm about to tell you we're doing. But South Dakota door is not open. And so we come back and um, long story short, my son calls me and says, Dad, let's talk about Alaska. That's not exactly how it happened. But I'm like, no, we're going to buy a house in Kansas City. And I shut that door and I just kind of felt like we're giving up on that, the dream. And he's like, well, I'm going to go. And, and so um, any, anyway, in, in a very short period of time, Kristen announces to us that, well, I knew in May that we were all going to move to Alaska. And I'm like, well, how about that? You know, because I've been the one saying no. So there's been all these little things. I get invited over to somebody's house and, you know, I, I, uh, I sit down for uh, dinner and I'm sitting in front of an Alaska table mat or placemat. There's just been there's just been scores of little things. So what's available to us in Alaska is frontline missions to village uh, natives who are dying. Uh, I thought the reservations in South Dakota were bad, but these this is really something up there. So there's a school up there, and I I went to seminary with the founder of it, and it's called Alaska Christian College, and they have 125 native students who are all from the villages. COVID has changed everything. Some of their regulars have not come back. They're so hungry for our family to come up there and they need every one of us. And so, um, so I've been up there a couple times to talk about it with them. For me, um, I feel like the Lord is saying, be very careful what you say yes to. There's a lot of opportunity. A lot of people who would like to, um, uh, just a second here, I'm getting a feedback. A lot of opportunity people are, um, you know, wanting this or that, but I'm, I'm at least going to do something, uh, I think, called scholar in residence. And that may not mean anything to you, but it's kind of an exchange with a school where they bring in a PhD as a resource. And in exchange, they get, uh, a, you know, his kind of, you know, expertise in teaching. He, the, the scholar gets a place to study, sometimes write a book. In, in, in missions right now, in Native American circles, because of Black Lives Matters and everything else, even the church doing anything among natives is controversial right now. In fact, one of the uh, covenant churches that just tried to do a trip a month ago up there was discouraged. You know, you guys are just colonializers again, and you need to leave the natives alone, and they have their own religion and all of that. And so the value of Christian missions is all under question. So I'm going to study the topic of um, ethics for uh, ethics for post-colonial indigenous mission. And I, it's a very timely uh, topic um, because Jesus is the answer. E either we believe Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but him, or we don't. And if we think they're all okay, you know, just with secular, you know, resources, um, you know, we should all fold it up. So that, that may seem boring to you, but my, my wife will be a tutor. She will tutor young women um, who are 90% of them have been raped. They will, uh, it's just a long deal. Probably my daughter-in-law will be as well. My son, Thomas, um, who has a friend who's a pilot and um, he does media ministry. All these kids have gone to seminary. Um, my daughter-in-law, Melody, is a worship leader. She said, I want to 
I don't want to be a worship leader who doesn't know the Bible. So she went and got a master's in biblical studies. Thomas has a master's of theology, but he does media ministry. The school, because of COVID, needs media immediately. Um, he wants to help me with my teaching ministry. But there's a group up there called Arctic Barnabas that has five planes, and they service 160 villages. And so Thomas and I will be going to these villages, um, and they're going to teach Thomas to fly. And so, you know, for the rest of my life, really, uh, I, I, I plan to invest myself uh, in this. The blessing of the thing is I think we have it orchestrated that we will, we can orbit there financially pretty good um, with the income that I have, um, Kristen working at the school, um, we have absolutely no debt. If we can get there, our bases are covered that way. But we are going to raise support because there's a lot of flight money and there's a lot of um, the ministry. We're actually not just buying a house. We're, we put an offer in and I hope it you know, goes through today. But we're establishing a mission base for native uh, ministry and outreach there. And so the, there is no budget for flying, um, you know, all the float planes and stuff like that. And, and the need for transportation. So I think I got the home figured out, but I don't have the transportation. I think we need a pickup truck. And, but the biggest need, I've said, I think I can orbit in Alaska fine. The Lord's opened that up pretty carefully for us. But I don't think I can get into orbit. Getting two households, which are about two bedrooms each, to Alaska is um, apparently, I'm learning, um, a many thousand dollar deal. Um, especially with the border closed. And so um, I've talked to Randy. Um, I'm, I'm asking Hillcrest as well. And my church that I started in South Dakota, if we could three, three base home churches to consider me as a missionary um, and the people within to consider supporting. Um, that's, I, and I used to think to myself, oh, great, you're called and now you want me to pay for it. Because I've been approached many, many times as a pastor over the years about mission money. And I, I started to uh, think, you know, you know, you're called, I pay for it very differently. It's we're called and we're doing this together. And so I do think there will be a St. Randy's church of zoom in Alaska. Um, we, we will be out there where there is no such church, uh, um, the college doesn't even have a church associated with it. I'm assuming my daughter-in-law will have a house of prayer going shortly and, and all of that. So I've talked uh, longer than probably expected, but that's what we're doing. We so need your prayer. We, we, Steve, I think you covered your microphone. Thomas there immediately. Um, and um, we, we need to move with, within a month. I was uh just getting ready to come in this morning. And I was so struck by, um, I think the importance of this discussion happening and it being you, Stephen and Kristen, uh, and it being in this body. Um, I'm trying to put this on a timeline, I guess 12 years ago, uh, when we were just kind of getting to know one another. We, we had, had met maybe the year before, but we were in South Dakota um, and I was preaching at Steve's church there and unsolicited, 
someone came and gave us a substantial financial gift, uh, much of what, which was used then to start what was the Zoe Foundation, uh, which ironically is the, the uh, covering for our church. It's the 501c3. When you give, you give to the Zoe Foundation. I'm just putting this all together as I'm telling the story. We used that to start the foundation and we gave uh, the bulk of that to families who were adopting. And so Church at the Gate made a massive investment into this entity and even into this church 15, 20, you know, 10, 15 years before it was even started. Uh, and so here we are at an opportunity to send them. And uh, this is really important. I, those of us that have sat with them and have prayed through this with them, we really see the hand of the Lord on them in regards to this. Um, and so this is what we want to do is we want to make them our missionaries. We're going to pray for them in just a minute uh, and commission them, but we also want to support them with our finances. And like he said, once he gets there, it's a little bit easier to navigate. They've got some income when they're there, and they're going to need a little more than that, but the getting there is difficult. And so the upfront costs we want to help them with, and uh, some of you go, why don't you just fly to Alaska and buy stuff? You've never been to Alaska, if you think that's the answer, because everything in Alaska costs so much more. Every gallon of milk you get was put on an airplane somewhere and taken to Alaska. And so things are just very expensive. It literally is cheaper to move things there than it is to, uh, to purchase it when you get there. And so the need is significant and the time press is real. Um, and so having talked with uh, some of our leaders uh, this is what we want to encourage you to do. If you'd like to bless the Hickeys and invest in them, really invest even in this, this church body, because this is what we're going to do. If you're giving online um, uh, above your, your normal church giving, whatever you'd like to designate to them, when you put your name into the online field, uh, put a dash and put missions behind that. And we will know that that's, that's the trigger, that that will uh, go all entirely to them. If you want to do it through a check, uh, just if you give that check to Michael Gromer or myself or whoever, uh, let us know that that is for, for Hickey's and we'll pass that all on to them. We want to bless them greatly um, because they have sown into us. And this is just the way of the kingdom. You know, in a, in a different world, you might have a building and a sign and a logo and a committee and all that. Uh, Book of Acts they just, they laid hands on them and sent them out. And so uh, we are going to pray for them as a group in just a minute. I want to open microphones and encourage you to pray for them. Now, I promised you we're going to commission missionaries. I did mention one other thing, uh, that we were going to have a name. Uh, the name that we've landed on is the bridge. We want to build a bridge to these things. And we realize it's not going to be all perfect. And, uh, you know, it's going to scare some people. There's not going to be a railing on one side. It might be a little rickety for a while. But we are going to build a bridge in Kansas City for your friends. So the name will be the bridge. And the uh, first official act of the bridge is going to be in the commissioning of missionaries, which I couldn't be happier uh, for anything else. Um, so I want to pray for them and would encourage those of you that it's on your heart to unmute your mic and uh, just pray a blessing over them. And then we want to match that with our financial resources. We don't want to say, go be warm and well-fed. We do want you to be warm and well-fed, but we'd like you to be able to, to get up there with your pots and pans, Kristen. That'd be important. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the hickeys. Uh, Father, for their long-term investment in this group. Father, it started years ago. Even before we had an idea, you had an idea. 
And so with your connection with Church at the Gate and how Steve and Kristen poured into Kelsey and I over those years, we pray that you would bless them and you would visit them with great uh, encouragement from the Lord and deep financial resources so that the gospel could go forward, so that transformation could take place in the villages of Alaska. The dear Alaskan people that you love so much could know freedom in Jesus because a little church in Kansas City that was even struggling to find a place to land set apart two of their best and said, Lord, would you use them, God? We bless the hickeys in Jesus' name. Yeah, Jesus, I thank you for um, Kristen um, and for Steve and their whole family. God, I thank you, God, that they did not give up when they faced door after door that was shut yes. um, for the dreams in their heart to take place. And Father God, I thank you that you opened this door in yes. Alaska. We praise you for this, Father, how you are supernaturally moving their family up there. God, I thank you um, that you have rekindled these dreams in their hearts. Father God, I thank you that you're eye has been upon them. And Lord, we ask that over this next month, as they prepare to move, that you would put every detail into place. Yes, God. God, we ask that you would provide for every financial need that they have. God, that they would be able to move their things up there without any problems or issues with borders yes. and paperwork and all of that. Um, Jesus, we ask that it would be such a smooth transition and that it would quickly feel like home for them, home for their children, for their grandchildren. Um, Father God, I thank you for this family. And we ask Jesus that you would even bring healing to Steve's body. Um, yes, God, we ask for supernatural healing to rest upon him. Um, Father, yes. I pray that you would protect all of them from getting sick um, and just worn out um, in the process of moving. Jesus, we ask that your hand would be upon this family. Um, God, I thank you for how you're going to move in miraculous ways and touch the hearts of the local people there in mm -hmm. Jesus' name. Yes, Lord. Father, we thank you for Stephen Kristen's yes to you. Mm -hmm. Lord, for Thomas and Melody and, and mm -hmm. Caitlin, who's already there, Father, mm -hmm. and, and even for... Uh, for Caleb here, his family here, God, we thank you for the yes of their hearts, God, to respond in faith and obedience. Lord, I thank you that you are sending a father and a mother to a land that has experienced intense fatherlessness. Mm -hmm. God, I thank you, Lord, that it is your goodness and your gift to the native peoples in Alaska, Lord, that you're sending this family, God. And so we as the bridge church, God, we bless them. We commission them. We ask for the fullness of your spirit to rest upon them. Yes, God, God that, that your power would be manifest through them, Lord, Amen. that signs and wonders would, would confirm the message that they're preaching and that they're living. And we ask God that you would sustain them moment by moment with the encouragement of your spirit. Lord, as they walk into spiritual atmospheres, we ask that discernment would rest upon them. God, that a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you and in your heart and in your thoughts, God, would rest upon them. Father, we ask that you would quickly connect them in face-to-face, life-on-life friendships and relationships there, God, that would bring 
encouragement and, and satisfaction to their, their need and their desire for f- spiritual family. Lord, we ask God that you would connect them with those young ones that you desire to invite into this encounter with you on the mountainside, Jesus. Mm-hmm. We ask you, God, that you'd sustain Steve and Kristen and their family with encounters moment by moment, day by day, that you would pour grace for first love to be burning in their hearts, God. Father, we stand before you and and we commit to covering them, to praying for them, to encouraging them, to strengthening them, God, to supporting them as they have need. And we ask God that you would bring fullness to what you have begun in this family and are continuing in them in this transition in Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you for the privilege to be witness and testimony to the what you have done. And I just thank you for the testimony that they have shared, that you sowed these seeds long ago in their hearts when they were young, and that then they have had this um, season of marriage where they have dug deep roots. And um, anyway, Lord, you know, I just thank you that you are, you have sown seeds, you have developed deep rootedness and now then them being where they're going to be they are anchored in such a way with you that they are going to bring new life and truly come to a point of fruitfulness and production um, with where it is that you're sending them and so we thank you for all the years of preparation and the wooing and maturing of their hearts and of their um um Uh, walk with you in such a way that uh, they are going to a place that needs lightness, um, your your light. And so we thank you that this is where you're sending them and that you have prepared them and that you are fulfilling their heart's desires and their dreams. And so we thank you that you are the God who authors those and brings them to pass. And so thank you for being... um, Uh, allowing us to see witness of that and testimony to that. And thank you for letting us be a part of your work in and through your body. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Father, we celebrate the word of the Lord going swiftly through the um, Hickey family. We celebrate um, the testimony of Jesus that we've just heard the, um, the opening of a wide of an effectual door in Alaska. And we bless the hickeys today um, with the fullness of the word. God, we thank you for the book of life that was written for both Kristen and Steve and that um, you are on the page where it shows that um, this door would be opened to them and their family. Father, I ask for the release of carrier angels from the storehouses of heaven to open up for them and for those carrier angels to um, come to the hickeys and bring all of the finances and all of um, the provision that they need. Um, Provision of health, provision of finance, provision of strategy, provision of revelation provision of um of uh, of heart provision of 
um, just all that is needed for the hickeys to make this transition um, to Saldatna. And Father, we thank you um, and we raise a hallelujah over this word um, for the hickeys. And we thank you that um, we could celebrate today the word of the Lord going forth. As you can imagine, we prayed for quite a while for Steve and Kristen Hickey. Very excited about their new mission in Alaska, just as we are for what God is doing here in Kansas City. If you'd like to track with us a little more closely, you can go to thebridgekc.church. That's thebridgekc.church. Sign up for our email list. We would be happy to keep you informed. Have a great day. We'll talk to you next week. Lifting.